Fanon. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Action. Happy Tuesday, everyone. If you are listening to this podcast, this restaurant fiction podcast episode on any other day of the week, just imagine it's Tuesday. Plus, Ice Cube did say today was a good day, and he was talking about a Tuesday. Want to argue that? Want to debate that? Hit me up, monis at restaurantfiction.com. That's neither here nor there. This is the real story. The real story is I was on set for Guy Fieri's Tournament of Champions Season 3, which premieres Sunday, February 27th, 2022. And I got to know the talent a little bit. And one of the awesome individuals, and there was many awesome individuals, actually, heck, they were all bitching. One in particular, his name is Chef Justin Warner. He is a sideline reporter for the show. He is a commentator. He's on a bunch of Food Network shows. Anyway, we got to talking. And he said to me, and he is a guy that not only knows food, he knows Marvel. He knows video games. He knows how to talk the talk, and he knows how to spell. And you'll find out a little bit later about that. But anyway, we got to talking and he said, has Restaurant Fiction ever reviewed the Gem Saloon from Deadwood? Because his own restaurants are about an hour away from Deadwood in South Dakota. And I said, no. And he goes, then we're doing it and we're reviewing that. On Restaurant Fiction. That's right. We have Chef Justin Warner, Food Network TV personality, judge, MC, commentator, etc., etc. He is he's also a cookbook author for the official Marvel cookbook plus his uh, own cookbook. We have him on the podcast and we are talking about the Gem Saloon from the HBO David Milt show Deadwood. Whether that be the TV movie, which was the series finale, and also the TV show. My name is Monis Rose. This is Restaurant Fiction, the podcast that reviews every single fictional restaurant, bar, and club in TV and film. We are going to talk about the Gem Saloon. We are going to talk about video games because guess what? Justin not only knows food, he knows the Food Network, he knows how to write a cookbook. He also knows a thing or two about video games, and it's fun. And we're going to get into a lot of other uh, miscellaneous conversation that's just fucking awesome. Anyway, here is part one of our conversation with Chef Justin Warner and our review of the Gem Saloon from the HBO series. Deadwood. 
restaurant fiction now personally me i'm in my 30s i am not old enough to uh of went to the uh original uh dead wood but the long lineage of restaurant fiction patrons and peers who have worked in restaurant fiction have and we have uh wrestled up one of the old reviews and we we're going to share that old review you see deadwood deadwood in south dakota is one of those places where if you believe in second chances and even if you don't deadwood is that place to believe in second chances especially if you have the patience and the tolerance to always be around manured covered streets you see and when you are smelling that uh, filth if you will you're going to want to get thirsty and i don't know why but you are going to get thirsty and the first place to uh, quench your thirst is the gem saloon now the gem saloon is the prim and uh is the antithesis of prim and proper and what i mean by that is let's see the inhabitants are whores tortured rogues thieves murderers drunks but there is a dainty quality and what makes it have a dainty quality will every single patron does talking to Shakespearean, Joycean prose that even if you really don't understand anyone, you kind of do anyway. And uh, just uh, hold your ears if you, uh, or, or put your uh, fingers in your ears if you cannot tolerate the C word in many different fluctuations, because you are also going to hear that with the Shakespearean dialect. Now, outside so when you are in the main thoroughfare you're going to see a uh, working girls uh, holding up twisting their umbrellas advertising the gem saloon and then you walk inside and there is you know there are lanterns that are lit by candlelights and chandeliers and you know many johns going upstairs from the main atrium for a you know a nice little touchy touch or two but you know no judgment here you see and why is there no judgment? Because the gem, it represents like free market freedom, as long as you're willing to pay. That's right. As long as you're willing to pay for your uh, butt to sit in the stool, to gamble, or to have a little uh, good time, then, you know, no questions asked here, especially you're not going to piss off the sociopathic owner. Now, if all you want to do is drink, you don't want to gamble, you don't want to get high, you don't want to fight. Well, you can, and obviously whiskey is of the choice. Now, the Gem Saloon, they do advertise some main brands um, of this time. They do advertise Old Granddad, they advertise Green Briar, and they even have a little short cocktail list of fixes, you know, fixes with a little of that uh, sugar, a little water, a little lemon. Uh, but personally, when Restaurant Fiction tasted it, it was very, very watered down. Um, personally, we really do, we think that's a, uh, a, you know, a crock of bull that we are actually tasting name brand whiskey of the time, but we're not going to tell anybody because if we tell anybody and piss off the owner, they're just going to feed us to the pigs. All right. That is our review of the gem saloon from the HBO show, the fictional, uh, you know, the um, HBO show Deadwood. We are not uh, reviewing the real uh, gem, the gem, but the fictional one, uh, Justin, uh, we're talking to Justin Warner, who actually handpicked the Gem Saloon. Uh, tell us, first of all, uh, did we get that right? What were your thoughts? What were your feelings? What is your opinion on that? The floor is yours. Yeah, I think you summed it up uh, quite well. I love the Gem Saloon in Deadwood. I love it's just such a great set piece. The characters and the owner, Al Swearingen, 
everything involved, I feel like I can hear the floor creak. I can, you know, smell the the mustiness. I can see the blood stains on the floor. And it exists in my mind. We could also dine on some canned peaches if we were feeling fancy. Why the gem saloon? What resonates with you about the gem? Well, there's a line early on in the series that I think Al Swearingen says, and he's, it's something like, you know, as a base of operations, you can't quite beat an effing saloon. As a person with a restaurant, I look at it as like a little battleship. I get to captain it sometimes. It truly is, as a base of operations, an amazing thing. And I, I look at a restaurant as not just being this place that serves food, but a place that becomes your base of operations. You have meetings, you conduct business, you do things that aren't just serving food. And I got to say, like as a, a ramen shop owner, having near infinite hot soup and near infinite hot sake and near infinite beer on tap it feels good. <laughs> and, and, and it's easy to do a lot of other stuff when you know that you've got a great base of operations. But tell us about this ramen restaurant that you own really quick. Yeah. So my wife and I opened a ramen shop in Rapid City, South Dakota, about 40 miles from Deadwood itself. It's called Boku Joe Ramen. Boku Joe means ranch or pasture. It's a little tip of the cowboy hat to uh, the people that make it happen. And by it, I mean food. And what did Deadwood have any influence on you in planting uh, roots or at least owning a restaurant, you know, in South Dakota? It absolutely did. I was living in Fort Collins, Colorado. I was a fan of this show and I saw someone with a T-shirt that said Deadwood. And I said, hey, I'm a huge fan of that show. And, uh, you know, I was young and dumb and probably not even 22 at the time. And uh, they said, you know, it's not far from here. It's like six hours. And I was like, what? Like Deadwood's real? And they're like, yeah, dude, it's real. You know, that show was, you know, based on on real atrocities and real nightmares that happen. And I was like, this is out of, out of control. And I like, I'm not kidding you. I put my pint glass down and uh, soberly uh, drove through the night. To Deadwood immediately. Uh, no bag pack, no nothing. And I, I ended up in modern day Deadwood at about 5 a.m. I was thrilled. I was thrilled with the drive. I was thrilled with the Black Hills. I was thrilled with everything that I saw. And I stuck around and there was like a shootout at, in the streets. You know, it's fake, but there was a shootout at noon, a reenactment, if you will. I said to myself then and there, I was like, Deadwood is the porch that I'm going to crawl under when it's time for me to pass. Like, catch me up there with the oxygen tank, you know, handbag full of pills, drinking free beer and ordering the occasional whiskey if the slot machine pays out. And I also wouldn't mind uh, Deadwood if you're listening. If you ever need a, an extra reenactor sometime in the summers, get it your boy, because I'd love to do that. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned that the show in general, especially when it serves the characters, the show like is, or Deadwood is like, um, you know, a place for second chances. Well, you know, what does speaking more though, to the gem, what does the gem say about the characters? That if you want, I, I think the gem says that if you want to be out there, you might have to get dirty. That's, you know, there's a, in the first episode, there's a, they spit in their palms to shake hands. And obviously we do not live in a culture that would currently accept that. But that's it in a nutshell is that you might have to spit in your palm 
and you might have to get spit on your palm if you want opportunities in life, if you want to try something new. And I'm all about that that lifestyle. You know, Al has to deal with shady characters all of the time. You know, with your ramen restaurant, how do you deal with uh, shady characters? I mean, like, what is your breaking point? Do you turn them away? I mean, Al uh, probably even beat them up and threw them out. What is your uh, business practice there? I'm an equal opportunity person. I've always said, like, I don't care about dress codes because if for one night in my life, I've worked so hard as to be able to pay for what is offered, who cares? We have hardworking people here, you know, people come in muddy booted, covered in concrete dust. People are sometimes savory, sometimes unsavory. The main thing, as long as you don't hurt, bother, offend anyone else, I don't really care. My job is to feed, not to police, you know, and so I just don't, I don't care. Like, don't, don't break the law, though. That being said, you know, don't cause a disturbance. And we, you know, don't, I don't know. It's like a very case by case by case basis. And to me, I, I think everyone can benefit from a good bowl of soup. And oftentimes maybe, uh, and maybe I'm, it's a pipe dream, but you never know the transformative power of hospitality and service. And so I always say I like to leave people better than I found them. If I can do that, great. Like you, you never know. You, you know, like I've, I've had people have a first blind date in a restaurant that I owned in New York. And then next thing you know, they're a power couple in New York Times, like in the wedding section. And it's like, I'm not going to take full credit for that. Obviously, they came together through fate or through attraction or whatever. But, you know, had they gotten food poisoning, it probably wouldn't have worked out as well or who knows. And so to me, that's what's like magical about food. And maybe I just tell myself that because I actually just deal in calories and matter that will be digested and flushed. But so so does Al, I think, you know. How do you create a dish or recipe, Justin? Like what is your methodology? How many tests do you do on a single recipe? It depends on the, the situation and the application. Context is always my favorite ingredient. But if it's for a cookbook, I cook very... You know, as long as there are like parameters that I have to follow, like they say you need 10 pasta dishes, I just kind of go with where I feel. It's like a very, like you're painting abstractly sort of process where it's like a little of this, a little of that. Okay, I'm satisfied with it. Are you satisfied with it? Cool. Let's see if we can recreate it following the instructions. And then that's that. Oftentimes, though, I'm motivated to cook or to develop a recipe. It's because someone has asked for it and there are specific parameters or there's a hole in the menu that needs to be filled. And so I just look at the parameters, uh, look at what the, I call it like the Steve Harvey family feud definition of it is, you know, like what are, what are the top two words you would use to describe a hamburger, like juicy cooked to perfection, you, you know, or whatever. And so like, okay, now that we've established the two most commonly used words to describe X dish, let's make sure we hit those really hard. And let's see what sort of flourishes we can add. I look at recipes as like building anything is like, so I, I've started working, I'm opening a new restaurant. I've had to do all, most of the carpentry myself. If you go to build a bar, just like a standard bar, there's certain things that have to be satisfied. Is it bar height? Is it the right depth? Is it like freaking functional? Can people sit at it? 
And so once you've answered those questions, you build a frame. And so you build a frame for a recipe. Okay, we're making soup. So, so it, it needs to come from bones because we're making a, a bone-based soup. It needs to have alliums in it. So anyway, you start ticking things off the list. Then you will eventually get to a point where you're at flourishes or trim on the bar. And so the soup might need a sweet component. Well, we could use sugar. That would be the easiest way. Or we could get locally sourced maple syrup. And that would be the flourish. And, you know, the bar could be made out of concrete. It could be made out of anything for the bar top. But we're using uh, burr oak that was uh, responsibly sourced here in the Black Hills. Flourishes. So that, that's kind of it. And that's the process that I use for everything. So, you know, in a way, um, you're like a showrunner. You own a restaurant, and plus this new, this new enterprise that you're building. You know, you're like a showrunner at the, at the helm. How do you run your team? <laughs> my, my wife and I have very different managerial styles, and we work together. But I think together we make a very good team. Uh, and that's because I tend to be a little loosey-goosey and maybe a little too trusting in letting people touch the wheel. And she is kind of the opposite. She likes to be on the wheel all the time. And so I, I, I tend to just say, like, we, we correct mistakes as they come, not before they happen. Because to me, I could spend my whole time, you know, worrying about what could potentially happen. But in reality, all that needs to happen is the soup needs to get before the guest and the guest needs to have a good experience. So to me, everything else, like, I don't care. Like, as long as we get to that process, I was doing a little conference with um, a kid the other day. Um, one of my, I guess, mentees, uh, his name is Palmer. I met him on Guy's Grocery Games. And he's now like 18 and doing like all sorts of leadership stuff. And he was interviewing me as to like, what is your managerial style? And I'm like, you know, if I'm captaining this battleship, we set a goal. The goal is to get wherever we're going. As long as we set the goal and get there by the time allotted and on deadline, I kind of don't care what happens between here or there. You know, maybe we'll meet a mermaid. Maybe we'll grow and change. Maybe we'll see the Aurora Borealis. I wouldn't change that. You, you, you know, like there are a lot of good things that can happen along the way. There are also plenty of bad things, but I'd like to think that, you know, good things are going to happen. You're on all these Food Network culinary shows. When people watch you, with your peers, there seems to be, you know, and it comes across that way as this, as like an instant and natural chemistry. Now, what are your tips of developing an instant rapport on screen, especially when you hardly know, like the person you're either cooking with or judging with, you know, and also, you know, working with, especially when that also person is a chef and a big, huge personality in his or her own right. Like, what are your tips for forming that instant chemistry when you even don't even know this person? I think being yourself, you know, I know this sounds crazy, but I think we put on a new face when you're meeting someone. And I think a lot of people look at meeting a new person as a, a time to reinvent. I, I, I think that that only leads to disappointment down the road. I try and show people just the, the bare bones, not the best version of myself, not the polished version, but the version that I default to. And I think that there is a certain, when you develop that habit, it, it might come across as confidence. And I think that confidence is one of the most attractive things that anyone can be. Earnesty and honesty and integrity and all of those things, you know, that hopefully 
after we pass, people will say, well, he was all of those things at your funeral or whatever. I think that's it. And then also, nobody likes like really like bravado. You know, you know what you're good at. It doesn't mean that you have to always like hammer that riff. You know, sometimes people don't need to know the, you know, Tandoori chicken was found 3000 BC. You know, like, sure, I might know that, but I don't have to like greet you with that information. You know, we can ease into my habits for better or worse. And I, I think that that's it. I don't know. Also, you know, I, I establish rapport for a living. I'm, I'm a waiter, essentially, and I'm a maitre d' and I'm a personality that interacts with plenty of things. Every person that walks in the door, it's like roulette. You know, are you going to be easy? Are you going to be tough? You know, are you going to be nuts? I don't know, you know, <laughs> and all of those things are totally fine. But it's my job to make sure that you believe in me and that I believe you're going to pay the bill. And that's rapport building, right? Every time you wait a table or greet a customer, you're meeting someone new and building rapport. And so, I don't know, I honestly ask people, how was your day? I don't say, how we doing tonight, folks? I say, how was your day? And it's like disarming because I care about where you're coming from and how you got here. And depending on how your day was, I can say, well, it's only going to get better. I can say, I'm sorry to hear that. Or I can say, hell yeah, your day was awesome. My day was too. Let's make it even better. Drinks. Hollywood's throwing you, or no, let's just say this. No, excuse me. Um, before that, actually, uh, your favorite video game production and publisher company is throwing you money. Then you have carte blanche to design the story of a culinary set video game. What does that look like? How do you play that? Like, what are we seeing? What are we playing? We're playing have- Pokemon with flavors. <laughs> and so... Coriander seed evolves into cilantro. Cilantro evolves into culantro. Culantro powers up. You get like a megastone or whatever, and it becomes chimichurri. You know, or, or whatever. You know, I know parsley is often used in chimichurri. It could be chermula. It doesn't matter, but you 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 get what I'm saying. You know, um, and I think you know how Pokemon have types. I think you know brassica type. You know, like so like food families and like genuses and stuff. I think there's a lot to be said there. And, you know, you're constantly, rather than battling other trainers, you're battling other chefs. And, like, you're traveling the world to get more and more rare flavors. And, like, you you get, like, you know, the equivalent of, like, a shiny flavor would be, like, a purple carrot instead of an orange carrot, you know, or or something along those lines. I, I haven't fleshed it out, but your goal is to amass some of the most powerful flavors and then, you know, fight Guy Fieri and his, 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 like you know, as like the official mayor of the flavor verse, um, which is real, you know, like he's the grand grand champion, you know, and like maybe he bequeaths his sets of flavors to you at the end or something. I don't know. <laughs> that does have legs. Yeah. How long was that? Just on the top of your head, or no? You actually have thought of this, like, hmm, if there was a video game in the culinary, you know, realm and all of that. Yeah, I have thought of it. And I, I think that there is a, a way that this could be done. It's just unfortunately like way too niche for a lot of people. But, you know, there are like 700 plus Pokemon now. I think it might even be more than that. But, you know, I, I could think of 700 flavors that would be worth catching. Excellent. All right. Floor is yours uh, for shout outs. Where can people find you? Where can people hear you? Where can pe- like 
floor is yours. Watch you, all of it. Uh, you can catch me on all sorts of Food Network programming, but uh, up and coming February 27th begins the third season of Tournament of Champions starring Guy Fieri, uh, Simon Majumdar, another uh, great podcaster, and I serve as sideline reporters and culinary ombudsmen. You can find me on all social medias and some video game platforms as Eat Fellow Humans, uh, which is not necessarily about cannibalism, even though I've probably mentioned it twice in this podcast, but uh, more about my desire uh, for everyone to eat. There could be a comma there, also a lesson on punctu uh, punctuation. And then uh, if you happen to be cruising through the uh, Black Hills of South Dakota or anywhere in the surrounding area and you find yourself in need of a bowl of soup, you could find me at Bokujo Ramen uh, or it's soon to be sister restaurant uh, BB's Natural, which will be more of a wine bar with uh, a focus on what I'm calling picnic for here type foods. Justin, thank you for an amazing part one. Guys, gals, children, if you loved what you heard, well, guess what? Part two is even better. I swear. I don't mean to swear, but I swear. If you want to know more, learn more, see more of Justin Warner, well, guess what? Sunday, February 27th, you'll get your day because he is going to be on as a commentator as a sideline reporter for season three of Guy Fieri's Tournament of Champions season three. It was filmed all the way down in the flavor town. That's right. The place does exist and it is fantastic. If you want to reach out, learn more about, you know, the timely, awesome, good things that Justin Warner is contributing to this universe. Well, he's on all of the socials. And just like he said, it is uh, his handle is at Eat Fellow Humans. I believe he wishes there was a comma there, so it's supposed to be pronounced Eat Fellow Humans. Anyway, that is his. Uh, that is his uh, Eat Fellow Humans. He is the same on Twitter. He is the same uh, the same name on Instagram. And of course, go on Amazon, buy his cookbooks. He has uh, Marvel, Eat the Universe. He has The Laws of Cooking and kind of how to break them. They're fantastic cookbooks. He's around. Or just go to his restaurants. Go down to South Dakota. Whether you want to go to Deadwood, whether you want to go to Sturgis, whether you want to see Mount Rushmore and everything in between, go down to his restaurant. Get an awesome bowl of ramen. As for us at Restaurant Fiction, you heard us, you listened to us, you spent hopefully more than a minute listening to this uh, 20 plus episode, 20 plus minute episode. So hopefully you uh, will like to listen to more and that's wherever you listen to us. And if not, tell us that you hate us. It's okay. We could take it. We're, we're adults here. Monis at restaurantfiction.com. Anyway, until round two with Chef Justin Warner. Keep it real, keep it fresh, and keep it on the flip side. Cut to exterior, interior, restaurant, bar, club, day, night. <laughs>